it's good to be back. Uh, we've got, as you see, our message today entitled Moving On and Learning From Your Pain. And as you know, we're going through Hebrews and we're going through the entire book of Hebrews, which actually is quite a difficult book at one level. And yet it's an amazing book full of stuff that is so relevant for your life that I believe God wants to really simplify it for you. And I believe he wants to connect into your spirit today that you'll catch something about God that will change you forever. Are we all up for that? Who would like to be really radically changed today that you'd never be the same again? Me, please. Yes. And God can do that because he's the only person who actually can do that. He can do what we can't do. And, uh, and Hebrews is full of Jesus and about how he wants to operate in our lives and do stuff that would just turn our lives upside down and bring us into situations where we'd never imagine we'd ever be. I mean, we have a couple of young girls sitting at the back who will not mention their names to embarrass them, but they've just left a note this morning to say that they're away on a day's training. Isn't that amazing? They're here because they believe God's going to do something to train them up to bring them into the things that God has for them. So very, very briefly, I wanted to start off today just reminding us of what we talked about last week and how that's linked up then to this week. Okay, so last week we spoke about Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 16, and basically we were challenged last week to move on. Remember there was like the three let us's, not the three let us's in the, in the, in the garden, but <laughs> three let us's. And uh, the first one was, let's be really careful. I'm just, my own words, this is not the way it's written in the Bible, but my own words. Let's be really careful to press into a place of complete trust and rest in God. And we talked about how when we reach that place and we just trust God for everything, how that just brings us peace and brings us power and please God. That was the first thing we learned last week. The next one was, let's speak out and declare or confess what we believe. And we, we saw there was such power in that, that when we declare God's word and say we believe this and we're declaring his word over a situation, that something happens because we're believing God and we're trusting God and we're believing his word. Then thirdly, last week, we saw that God wanted us to push on and to go further and to move on by going to the, it said, let us go to God's throne of grace. And we saw how Jesus has actually, when he died, how he, he actually left this earth and how he went through the heavens and went back up into the throne, up in, up in heaven, and how he's actually sitting there like a high priest. We know a priest is someone who links us between us and God. He's the go-between between God and us. And he, Jesus, is the go-between between us and the Father. And he's sitting there, and last week we realised that he was saying, come on, come, come boldly, don't be afraid to come to me because I want to help you. And I've got all the grace you need. And I'll help you whenever in your time of, of need. So last week we were talking about moving on. Let us go on. Let us do these things. And then last week we also looked at how uh, we compared the, the ordinary priests that were around in Bible times, uh, human priests, and how they did their job, but they were very different to Jesus. How Jesus is a priest who is different. And we saw last week, we didn't spend much attention on it actually, but we saw last week that we saw that, that Jesus, I want to read the verse to you again. Let me read it to you. That even though Jesus was the Son of God, I want you to really hear this because we skimmed over it last week, but it's important to this week's message. It says, even though he was the Son of God, in the days of his flesh, whenever Jesus was human, 
When he had offered up prayers and supplications, remember he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross, with vehement cries and tears. I, I just want you to get today that Jesus knew what it was like to cry and to weep with violent, vehement tears. Uh, I really want you to get that. And it goes on to say, he, he cried to his father who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his godly fear. Now here's the bit I want you to connect with that. Though Jesus was the son of God, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. I want you to get that, that even Jesus, even though he was a son, the Bible says he learned obedience. Now it wasn't that he didn't know it, but he, he actually had to experience it as a human being. And by going through suffering as a human being, he understood in a way that it would have been impossible for him to have understood if he hadn't come down from heaven. He, he, he understood what it's like for us to be alive and to go through suffering. And that's why he's such a great high priest, because he feels what you feel. And he has sympathy for you in a way that he couldn't have had if he hadn't gone through the suffering. Do you get that? So <clears throat> that's important because I've written in your notes that we, we, last week we looked at Jesus being this great high priest who, although he was God, learned obedience by the things which he suffered. One of the translations says that he, that, that vehement crying, another translation says, with strong crying. You see, Christ was actually made perfect. He was actually, he was actually equipped by being a human being and going through the suffering, he was equipped then to bring us salvation. And that's what those verses go on to say. It says, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him, called as God to be high priest. So those are the two things from last week. And I'm repeating them because I want you to get your mind linked into those two things. One, that God wants you to move on. He doesn't want you to stay where you are. He wants you to move on and get to know him. Secondly, that he wants you to learn from whatever suffering you have gone through or you might be going through now. Does that make sense? That's the two points that I feel are really important for us today. And we're going to read now from, a, a, from Hebrews 5 because we're going to see that these, these Jewish people, remember Hebrews was written to the Jews, Jewish believers, and we're going to see that even though they had trusted Jesus to be their saviour, even though they were believers, they were Christians, we're going to see that they had actually um, been slipping and sliding for a while. They hadn't been learning from their difficulties. They hadn't been moving on and they hadn't been learning. And because of that, they had become dull. And because they were spiritually dull instead of spiritually sharp, they had actually become sluggish. So I want to ask you the question today, do you feel a bit dull or a bit sluggish? Because if you do, you're going to get a bit of a shaking up today. <laughs> All right? Because I believe God wants to move us. So let's just read a few of these verses from uh, Hebrews 5, verse 11, where it goes on to say, <coughs> uh, the, the writer is saying to the Jews, I have much to say to you, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Okay. Now, you've got to understand that these believers knew all about God. They actually had trusted God as their saviour, and yet they'd gone through a, a sort of a process 
of ending up being dull and sluggish. And uh, I want to just go back very quickly and remind you of how God had given warnings right from the beginning of the book of Hebrews. There are three particular warnings that brought them to this place. Okay, so they're written in your notes. If you look at it, you see the three particular warnings. I've taken this from Warren W. Wearsby's book. Uh, and he says, the first warning was given in Hebrews 2, where they were warned not to drift away from God's word. And if they were going to drift, they would be neglecting God's word. Now, I want to ask you something. Isn't there a danger in all of us in drifting from God's word? It's so easy, isn't it? Just to get out of routine and, and not to have that daily... Because God's word is your spiritual food. Once you trust Jesus as saviour, then from that time on, the Bible says that his word is your food. And when you first trust Jesus and understand he died for your sins and he actually wants to be in your heart and he wants to actually live with you and go through life with you and he has a plan and a purpose for you, that's particularly geared for you, when you receive Jesus into your heart and you experience that, then your daily food, and it starts off at the beginning, the word of God is like milk. It's like giving a big bottle of milk to a baby. You start to grow. And then as you get a bit, as you go on in the faith, then the Bible talks about how you should actually come to the place where the word of God becomes like meat to you, becomes like solid food, because you're stronger and you're going forward and God's able to show you more. And so the danger is for each of us that even though we belong to God and we've trusted Jesus, there's a danger in just getting a bit neglectful of spending that time with God and actually applying his word to our heart. Because if, if, if you weren't going to eat for a week, you'd be getting weak, wouldn't you, in the natural. And so it is spiritually. And if you aren't taking in that drag every day, time with God, hearing what he's speaking to you through his word, then you're going to get weak and you're going to neglect things. So that was the first warning in Hebrews 2. The second warning came in, in Hebrews, uh, was Hebrews 2. Then the second warning is in Hebrews, Hebrews 3, where uh, if you read through those verses, I haven't time to read them, you will see that you're warned that if you start to doubt God's word, then your heart, your heart gets hard. Okay? So we've got to listen and believe or else our heart becomes hard. And a hard heart is not good at responding to God. Our hearts should be soft. And so uh, that's the second warning. The third warning then is the one where we're at today, that if you're drifting and if you're doubting, then you will become dull. You will, you, you, you'll become dull and sluggish. You'll not be hearing properly and you'll be like somebody walking along like they're 90 and they can hardly walk because you're sluggish. Do you ever feel a bit sluggish in the morning? Whenever William gets up out of bed in the morning and he's really tired, he's sluggish. You should see him getting out of bed. And he starts walking up the corridor with his eyes shut. <laughs> God doesn't want you walking with your eyes shut. He wants you alert. He wants you bright. He wants you sharp. And he wants you to be not dull but sharp. And you know, I love it because Isaiah 41 verse 15 it says that we should be sharp like cutting, threshing instruments. That we will just cut everything that's not right out of our lives. That we will become strong and sharp as believers. So these are three warnings that Hebrews gives us. And you see, God wants us to apply these same warnings to our circumstances. Because do you know what? The enemy will try the same tricks on you that he, that he tried on these believers way back in the book of Hebrews. Because he does exactly the same thing. He hasn't changed much. He'll still try to deceive you or distract you or disappoint you in order to cause you to drift from God's word. 
He doesn't want you growing strong. He doesn't want you getting excited about what God says to you and then going out and doing it. That's what makes you strong. That's what gives you encouragement to get up and keep going forward. The enemy will do anything to distract you. He'll deceive you. He's a liar, Jesus said, from the beginning. And so he will start to whisper doubt into your thoughts. Once he's got you away from God's word, then he'll start whispering doubt. Oh, God's not going to do that. Sure, why would God worry about you? So you aren't anybody. Sure, look what you did last week. Sure, you, you made a fool of yourself. Sure, God has no time for you. We all hear those voices. Those are the voices from the enemy. And he wants us to doubt that God loves us and he wants us to doubt that God's going to work for us. And once we start to doubt, then the trouble is, we, that's in our head, we begin to think it, and then we begin to speak it, and before we know, we begin to feel it. Because, you see, the Bible says that as a man thinks, so he is, and life and death is in the power of the tongue. So if, you, if you're listening to the lies and they're going through your head and you're actually beginning to let them be there and let them settle, and then you start repeating you know, all this negative talk, and you're going, oh, God, God mustn't care for me, or God isn't, isn't working on my behalf, or God's not moving, God doesn't care about me, all that negative stuff. Once you start speaking it, then you're going to feel real. You're going to come into a place of just feeling a doubter because you're not believing God. Do you see the process and how Satan wants to get us to that point? And when we become, when we, when we start to believe and speak those, those thoughts and those doubts, you see, that actually messes with our emotions and it hardens our heart. And the result is that we are dull and sluggish. And this is exactly the way these Jews were. And when we get dull and sluggish, and I want you to get this. When you're in that place of weakness and you're not, you're not living the way God wants, you're not enjoying God the way he wants you to enjoy him, then you get out of touch with his love. You get out of touch with God's divine plan for your life. And you see, we just then, it's very easy then to start to, to start to miss those flashing lights that God's warning at you. He's saying, look, you're going the wrong direction. You're, drift, you're not listening to my word. You're doubting me. You've got dull. You're not hearing me. You're sluggish. You're in a place where, seriously, you're in danger of losing the plan that I have for your life. Now, I believe the Bible teaches without doubt. I believe the Bible teaches that we do not lose our salvation. I believe we're going to heaven. But we can lose the plan that God has for our life. Our destiny, our spiritual destiny. And your spiritual destiny is your spiritual inheritance. Because God has a plan for your life. And he wants you to let him work in you and through you. So that you can have the most exciting life. And that might be full of difficulties. There might be pain. I think not too many of us get through life without some kind of problems. But the thing is that there's a joy whenever we give our lives over to God. When we surrender our lives to God, we begin to live the life that he planned for us to live. And that's where we come into the joy and the, 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 the sense of, of satisfaction that we're in his will. You see, God has a big picture for this, for this, this planet. A big picture. And every single one of you has a part to play in that big picture. And that is so exciting. And every single one of you are unique. And God has a unique plan for every single one of you. So uh, let's just uh, read on here. I think I only started. I haven't read half, just a very, very little. Let's read from verse uh, 12, where, um, chapter 5 of Hebrews, verse 12, where the writer is saying, For though by this time... 
you ought to be teachers. These, these believers should have been going on. They should have been, they should have been growing. They should have been able to help others and speak to others and teach others. He's saying, he's disappointment here. He's saying, no, you should be teachers. You need someone to teach you again. And you need someone to teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. For solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, uh, let us go on to perfection or to maturity is a better translation. I, I just love the fact that God wants us to move on. Let me read to you the way the New Living Translation puts it. Let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead, see another lettuce. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Now, do you get that? He's saying to them, in kind of our language, I have confidence you're going you're gonna to move on. Surely, surely you understand that you need to be growing. You need to be moving. And he's saying at the minute, you're still needing these same basic things taught to you over and over again. And he said, by this time you should have grown, you should be helping others and reaching out to others. Now, you see, the thing is, I've written in your notes here that we would be concerned if we had a 30 or 48 son or daughter and we were still making up baby milk and putting it into a bottle and feeding them three times a day. And we'd be a bit concerned, wouldn't we? And that's exactly the way God is. God's saying, Come and live in your heart. I've forgiven your sins. You belong to me. And I want you to grow because I want to see you growing up. And I want to see you getting off the bottle and getting on to solid food. And so God has this strong desire that we would grow up. He, he's saying to us, let us go on and get past, get past this elementary stage. Don't go over and over the basic teachings Instead, let us become mature in our understanding. You see, God wants his kids, that's you and me, to grow. And he wants us to grow strong because he has stuff for us to do. God didn't want his people to be dull. He didn't want them to, to, to be sluggish. He wanted, um, he wanted them to grow on. Now, we're going to look at a couple of verses here. And these verses are actually probably the hardest and most difficult verses to understand in the Bible. All right? So we're going to deal with them. <laughs> That's a bit of a laugh, isn't it? But the Holy Spirit, I believe, is going to speak to us today. Because these verses, for many, many Christians, have debated and even got very afraid of these verses. And we're going to read them and then we're going to just ask the Holy Spirit to really help us to understand. Because I believe it's really important that we actually do look at these verses and that we aren't afraid of them. Okay, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened 
and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now I just want those are two verses that have caused a lot of debate amongst uh, believers and I just want to look at the three possibilities that strike fear to people. The first one is some people believe that it's possible because of our when we make a mistake or when we sin or whenever we really mess up or get away from God, it's possible that we will lose our salvation. People call it saved and lost. The second thing that people take from it is that if you lose your salvation, then it's impossible for you to become a Christian again. And clearly, Scripture doesn't teach that. Thirdly, some people believe uh, that an apostate, that taking this word up, an apostate, which means somebody that deliberately turns away from God and uh, refuses to believe anymore. Some people believe that, that once a person becomes an apostate and turns away from God, that that is the unforgivable sin and there's no coming back. Now those are three things that, lots of, that strike terror to a lot of people and that uh, I think it's good to get out in the open and have a look at. Now we're going to just let those sit there for the moment and we're going to look because I think it's important that we look at those verses. First of all, in the context of all of scripture and also in relation to the verses that go before and the verses that come after uh, these, what we've just read. So let's take a look at Hebrews 6 and we're, we're, we've already looked at the verses before, we've seen that, that God was saying you've grown dull, you've got sluggish, you're not moving forward, I want to teach you more. That's the context of what went before these verses and now we're going to look at the context of what went after. So let's look at verse 7. Hebrews 6 verse 7. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars it is rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. Now uh, those are the verses that come after and I think it's not by chance that, uh, that these verses are about the earth and bearing fruit. Because remember, God said, I want you to go on. I want you to grow. And, and it's like, it's like the, the Spirit of God is, is bringing them back to the idea of, do you remember Jesus spoke about sowing the seed and how the good seed of the Word of God falls into four different kinds of ground. And we haven't time to go back to that. You can read about it in Matthew 13. But you'll see that there's four different kinds. And there was only one out of the four where the seed fell in good ground and where it actually grew up and 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 uh, give fruit. And Matthew 7, I've given you some references there, uh, Matthew 7 verses 15 to 20, and if you've noticed in, your, in the notes there, I put down and verse 33, but it's actually Matthew 12 and verse 33, if you just want to adjust that, if you're looking it up. But actually you'll see that in those verses, Jesus himself spoke and said that by your fruit, people would know who you are. In other words, if you belong to Jesus, then you're going to bring forth, you're going to, you're going to reproduce Jesus. And if you don't belong to Jesus, then you're not going to reproduce Jesus. So we need to see that in context that after giving this word of warning uh, about uh, falling away, it's interesting that it goes right back to the idea of the seed. And, and also Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 11, haven't time to read them, but if you read those verses, 
it tells us that when we trust Jesus and we belong to God, that if we start, you know, acting up and, you know, not reading the word or getting into stuff that we shouldn't be getting into or really behaving badly, God will deal with us just the way a human parent would deal with their son or daughter. He'll discipline us. And it tells us in Hebrews 12 that actually if you're doing stuff that's not what God wants you to do and you're not getting disciplined, that's a good sign you don't belong to God. Because God disciplines. If you're feeling you're getting corrected over something, that's a sure sign you belong to God. And so this, is, this continues to be the truth that bearing fruit and being disciplined are definitely a, a sure, a proof that you belong to God and that God is wanting you to grow. He's wanting you to move on. And then it says in Hebrews 6, verses 9 to 12, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. So he's actually saying to them, look, you know, I, I have confidence in you. I know that you'll push on. I'm just writing this word to encourage you to push on because I know that you're going to do lots of stuff for God. And it goes on to say, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labour of love. Let me read these verses to you in the New Living Translation from verse 10. I can hardly see up here. Uh, this print is so small I have to get a new... Uh, for God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts, in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Another translation says, because of their patient endurance. Now, I think it's really important that we notice that these verses start with, but beloved, because God loved these people. And you see, if, you're, if you've you know, been, been neglecting God's word, if you've been doubting, if you have become dull and you're feeling a bit sluggish, you need to know that God still loves you. You need to know that God is just reaching out to you this morning and he's saying, I love you so much. And he's saying, I am believing that you're going to step up and I'm going to give you the power to do it because he's always reaching out to us in love. And the writer here is expressing tenderness to these people and he has confidence that they're going to go forward for better things. Did you, did you notice that? We are confident of better things. And remember we said that Hebrews is full of that word better. Everything is better in the New Testament. Better covenant. Better salvation. The Old Testament just pointed forward. Better hope. And now better things. And God wants you. You see the children of Israel are way back. Remember we looked at this a few weeks ago. They, do you remember after God took them out of Egypt and they went right in circles in the wilderness and a lot of them because they didn't believe what God, what God said they were afraid to go into the promised land. They didn't actually go in to get their destiny and their inheritance because they were going round in circles. And, and, and God was saying to these believers look, learn from your past. Learn from the difficulties of life. Push forward. Don't continue to go right and right circles. Don't be like the, your ancestors way, way back. I've got a call in your life. I'm calling you forward. Push through. He wanted them to actually experience a breakthrough. He wanted them to change. He wanted them to be more like him. You know, there's something about seeing our kids 
grow up and and behaving themselves that really you know behaving well there's something that gives us joy isn't it I remember years ago, whenever William was probably around 10 or 11, I'm not too sure, I was trying to work it out last night in bed, whenever he, it was, whatever age he was. But anyway, Jane and William and I had gone to Cyprus for a holiday. And something happened that really grieved me. Now when I tell you the story, you might laugh, but I'll tell you I wasn't laughing because it really grieved me. Uh, we were out one day in the pool and there was all these wee boys and they were all, you know, they were probably young, a lot younger than William. And they, they'd all got these big, big heavy, you know, water pistols. And they were all firing the water right. So Jane and I, we thought we'd get him one. So he was in the pool and he loved the water and he was busy firing this water all around the, all around the place. And this one particular young boy, who was a lot younger than William, he was getting very aggressive and he was coming up and he was just, you know, squirting the water right into William's eyes and he was just doing it again and again and again. And William just lifted the big heavy, it's a big heavy uh, water pistol and he just banged him over the head. <laughs> and the next thing I could see the blood coming out. <laughs> well, do you know, girls, I was so annoyed about that. I was so annoyed. Now, I could understand why he'd done it because he was really being provoked. I understood that. But do you see, we went up we kind of made her apologies to the mother and the whole crowd around the pool this young boy's head was split open and the whole crowd around the pool I've never told this story publicly before and I said to Jane we're, we apologise and I said we're heading up to the bedroom and I literally pulled the curtains I was so grieved I said God I can't go out again today now I know it's a simple thing and I know that you've gone through many of you have gone through stuff where your kids have really grieved you that was a very simple thing but you know, it really grieved me and I've never forgot that sense of grief that I have because I hear it, people in the hotel look at William and say, he's a bully. I hear it that because I knew he wasn't. And it grieved me for what they were thinking about William. And William didn't have the words and didn't, he couldn't tell anybody that he was being provoked. He couldn't explain about it. But it really grieved me. And you know, over the years I've seen him grow. I've seen him where he will take a bit of stuff now and he not react like that. And that blesses my heart. And your heavenly father knows that at times you're provoked by the things that happen in this world. Your heavenly father understands you more than you understand yourself. And whenever you feel like lashing back at something, he understands, but he wants you to grow up. And instead of lashing back, he wants you to give love and patience and endurance. And he wants you to behave more and more like him. And did you notice that when we read here that the writer says that God had noticed their acts of love towards other believers. You see, God wants us to love each other. And that's why when I come to Eagles, I love to see all of you caring for each other. We go in the prayer room there and people are praying for each other and care about each other and want to encourage each other. I love when I see people, you know, just being respectful towards each other. I love when I see people appreciating what Jane does and not being impatient, but just just appreciating her. I love to see people who appreciate what Marion does. It's not easy to get up here every week. I just love to see people loving each other because they love God. And God's pleased with that. And, and these verses say that he wants us to go on and on and do that more and more because we are showing the world what it's like to have Jesus in our hearts. We're showing Jesus to the world when we show his love and we treat each other with love and we, whenever we react in the opposite spirit. You know, if William had reacted in the opposite spirit, he wouldn't have banged your wee boy over the head. And you and I 
we need to learn to react in the opposite spirit. When somebody's really annoying you, pray blessings on them. When somebody provokes you, that you just pray for them and that you take it patiently. And so God wants us to grow and he wants us to get strong and he wants us to keep going. And you know what? When we keep growing, you know what happens? Those doubts about whether we belong to God or not, they'll just go because you're just experiencing God's fresh anointing. Just even this past week, I had such a sense of God saying, there's more. I had such a sense of God saying, would you pray to me that you would get to know my Holy Spirit more? Would you pray, would you pray that, that you would hear God more clearly? And I have been pressing in to do that. And so should you. Don't be content with what you've got. Open your ears and say, God, speak to me clearly. Give me words that I can, words of encouragement even and words of knowledge that I can speak to other people. You can come in here hearing a word in your spirit that you know and you, you just know that God's given you to give to someone. And you can go straight to that person and say, God's given me a verse for you today or God's given me a word to say to you today. And this happens in this, in this group. This is already happening. It happens in the prayer room. It happens in here. But I'd love to see it happening even more where you would realise how important you are to God and that God wants you to grow and that he wants you to move forward and go into your full salvation because he saved you to bring you to heaven but he saved you to be his representative on this earth and that's a high calling and God has given you his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has equipped you and wants to equip you more and especially through the hard things of life that is the time when he will train you that is the time when he will teach you about himself when you're going through hard times. It's very, very interesting that when Jesus went through suffering, he went through suffering with strong, it says in one of the translations, with tears and strong crying. Now, I wanted to say this to you, and I'm glad it's come to my mind again, because I hate it if I'd miss saying this to you. <laughs> you see, I believe that Jesus was, well, I know he was perfect in every way. He was the perfect, sinless son of God. And yet, because of the suffering that he went through because of our sin, he actually cried out with strong, strong, a strong crying and tears. And I believe that when we go through suffering, that it is a very healthy thing for us to cry, in a to let that pain out with strong crying and tears. And a lot of you, and including myself, have gone through different parts of our lives where we have shoved the crying down, where we haven't cried out, and where we've got through stuff just about, but we've never grieved properly. And you see, whenever I, I'm just going to briefly mention this, whenever back in the 90s, when I reached the point where I was going through divorce, do you know what I realised? That there was a lot of weeping that was coming out of me and a lot of strong crying that was coming out of me. And do you know what? It wasn't just for the divorce, it was for way back when I lost my mother as a 12-year-old. I was weeping tears about my mother being killed in a car accident when I was 12 years old. And I was doing it. I was doing it in the late 50s. Early 50s, I don't know when it was, sometime. And you see, those tears hadn't, been, hadn't got out. And, and some of you need to get, you need to actually get some prayer and you need to go back to some of the stuff that you haven't properly grieved over. And you need to let it out because that's healthy. That's the way God created you. And there's something that happens when we are real with our emotions. Jesus Christ was in touch with his emotions and he was willing to cry with strong cries and to, and to, to, to make, to be real in what he felt.
with the Father. Last, uh, it wasn't it hadn't intended to say this, but it just come to my mind. Last uh, summer, we took a group to Israel, and we're taking another one this year. And we went down, we walked down the Mount of Olives, and we went walked into the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's a church built there, and William and I and a few others, we went in and we just sat quietly in the church. And uh, at the top of the church, uh, inside, there's like a an altar and it's made of, of represents the crown, the crown of thorns. So we were sitting for a long time and I've been in there many and many a time but I've never gone up to that altar. And we were sitting there and we were just, you know, just being still. You're not allowed to speak in there, not allowed to open your mouth. And we were just sitting and then William took my hand and I thought he was going to lead me out. And he led me up to that altar and he dropped on his knees at the altar and I dropped on my knees beside him and all I can tell you is it's a long time since I had such a sense of God's love and God's intimacy and of the suffering of Jesus that I had in those moments. Listen girls, God wants you to be real with your emotions and he wants you to know that he understands because he has entered into suffering like no other human being ever has because he has taken the sins of the world and he suffered for every atrocity that has ever happened in this world he suffered he felt the pain of it and he did it because he loved you and did me for god so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now at that point, let's get back to these two questions that we want to ask. What are the true meanings of Hebrews 6 verses 4 to 6? Can we be saved and lost? If we, if, if we lose our salvation, is it impossible for us to be restored again, to get it back again? Is it possible to be an apostate and, and to commit the unpardonable sin? Well, I think it's really important that we uh, read on and then we'll just talk about those last points. Okay, we'll read from uh, verse 9 and we'll read it again if I can get my, if I can read it in this wee book, in this wee one. Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really, really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation, for God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not be spiritually dull and indifferent, dull or sluggish, other translation. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance, or if you like, their faith and their patience. As we begin to wind up, let's just look at what actually is said in Hebrews 6. I'm going to read those a couple of verses again. For it's impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. I just want to show you two different, there's actually three little things here that are quite interesting that um, I believe God wants 
uh, to show us. The first is that a lot of believers consider that those verses actually refer to like a hypothetical situation. In other words, it could read something like this. Let's suppose that you do not go on to maturity. Does this mean that you will go back to condemnation? That you will lose your salvation? Impossible. If you could lose your salvation, it would be impossible to go back again. If, and, and, this, uh, and this would disgrace Jesus Christ. He would have to be crucified again for you and this could never happen. So some people believe that that is that those verses are actually a hypothetical, they're actually a hypothetical situation. And uh, it's interesting that um, the, if you read, we read it again. Just it says um, in verse three, it says, "This will we do if God permits." But actually, if you read the next verse, for it is impossible for those. Who were once enlightened. So it's as if he was speaking about them, this is what we do, and then it's like he's giving a hypothetical situation, he's speaking about those. So that's another little way that it could be that it's a hypothetical situation, which actually proves that we are secure and that you can't be saved and lost. I know they're difficult verses. The other thing then is that the word apostate doesn't actually, uh, it's not in that um, reading at all. The word apostate is not used in this passage. There's another word used called parapipto, which means literally to fall alongside. So it can't be in terms of somebody being an apostate. And thirdly, there's another another way of looking at it, is that the tense that it's written, where it says, let me read it, if they fall away to... I'll read it again from the beginning. It's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now, the, the, the proper tense in that, and I'm not that good on English grammar really, but I read a lot of the books, so... Hey, hold do the same thing. So um, the proper tense is: it's impossible while they. It's important if they fall, while they fall away. No, sorry, it's important if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, whilst they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and whilst they put him to an open shame. So in other words, while they're you know like away from God, and while they're not. Uh, believing him, then it's impossible for them to repent because until they repent, they can't get back again. So that's another way of looking at it. The thing is that I want to get across today is that scripture doesn't contradict itself. And there's a few verses, I'd love you to read them when you go home. I'm going to read one or two of them now. But there's a few verses in the Bible that give us such a strong, clear promise of our security that when we are saved, we already pass into eternal life. It's not something we receive after we die, that at the moment of salvation, you receive eternal life, and eternal life is eternal life. You can't take it away. So let's read what it says in, in, in uh, John chapter 5, John's Gospel, verse 24. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death onto life. It goes on to say in John 10, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my father's hand and the father and I are one. I think those verses are pretty conclusive. And so we can put our faith in this God. Now the question is, the two vital questions, are you saved and are you safe? And I believe from scripture that we can say yes. But you know what? So that you might have the assurance and so that you might enjoy your salvation, you need to be a fruit-bearing Christian. You need to be taking the word of God in on a regular regular basis. You need to be growing in the word. You need to be trusting God and not doubting him. And you need to be pressing into action as you trust him, stepping out in action. And you know, I just think it's, it's amazing that we have, we have even young women here today who are doing that. Sophie's down at the back and should not make me saying this. Sophie had a dream. God gave her a clear dream that he wanted her to get money for India, for the girls that are being trafficked in India, for those uh, religious prostitutes that are in India. And God put a dream in her heart. She qualified as a nurse. And Sophie, I'm not doing this to blow your head up, but I just think it's amazing what God has done because you've actually lived this out. You received Jesus as your saviour. You, you, you've been reading the word. You've heard his voice to you for your unique calling. Do you know what Sophie's done? She's opened a shop. Now, she's still working. She was working as a nurse, and she still is, but she's actually given up her job now to, to sub so that she'd be more free. And she's actually opened up a, a, a shop for, for young children who do dancing. And she's actually went to England last year to learn how to make tutus. Who knows what a tutu is? <laughs> I, I, I learned a while ago, you know, those wee skirts. She learned how to do those so that she could be more equipped. And what is she doing? She's working her wee head off in, in different hospitals to get the money. And she is, and God's giving her favour for this work. And the work is growing. And more and more mothers are coming and buying these dance clothes and shoes and all for, for their kids. And that, that work, that that prophet is going out to India and she's actually going to go out herself, not this year I think, but next year, and she's going to go out and she's going to teach those young girls how to make tutus. And she's going to rescue young women because God put it in her heart to be a rescuer. Because God rescued Sophie and he now wants her to go out and rescue others. And that's what he wants. He doesn't want you to make tutus, I'm quite sure. I don't know what he wants you to do. But do you know what? He has the plan. And he knows what he can do with your life. And you know, so often, it's just being that voice to speak a word into somebody's life that will make all the difference. So often, it's just coming alongside and saying, you know, you're having a hard day. Can I, can I just bless pray and ask God to help? So often, it's just a word of encouragement to each other. But you know what I want you to get before we finish? The time that God will teach you the most, the most, not the most, the most. The time that God will teach you most It's when you're going through hard times. Just as Jesus learned through his suffering and was equipped to become the person who can stand for us in heaven and help us to get through life, God will equip you through all the suffering in your life. If your suffering could go down the tubes and be no good to you at all. But if you give it to him and you say, God, I'm going to trust you in this suffering and I want to learn, do you know what? He will use it to teach you. I want to tell you now, and I'm making a public declaration, I would not be doing this today if I hadn't come through the suffering and brokenness of divorce 
and a loss of a ministry overseas, I wouldn't be doing it. I wouldn't know how to do it. But during that, somewhere along the line, I made a decision. I was going to trust God. And he promised me, if you follow me and you pursue after me, he'd give me a promise, I'll restore everything that you lost. And you know what? He's given me far more than what I've lost. And he'll do the same for you, but he really wants you to hand your suffering over. Get to believers, encourage each other, and start to trust God that he can do something with the bad things that are happening in your life. Look at Joseph. For any sake, look at the story of Joseph and see how every day things got worse. And every day it was like a step backward. And yet all through it all, God was moving him forward into his destiny. God wants you and he wants me to give it all over to him. Surrender your own stuff. Surrender the way you thought it would happen. Just give it over to God and say, I'm going to surrender it to you, Lord. I'm going to trust you. And God can do something with your life. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that your word is true. And thank you, Lord, that you want us to lean hard on you, to lean our entire personality on you, to trust you implicitly. And Lord, you will lead us through, even, Lord, if we need patience to wait. Help us to have patience the way you had patience. Help us to trust you. And, oh God, thank you that we can be sure that your word is true and that you will bring us into the promises of God and we can have the assurance of that. In Jesus' name. We're going to stand and we're going to sing, I surrender all. Really lovely just to sing this. And as usual, we're here at the end for anyone who wants prayer.